Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hi, everybody. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sick of winter here in Denver. We've had just cold, cold, cold days, and uh, it's not really typical for us. We don't get down in, you know, the minus anything very often, and uh, it just feels like every third day it's snowing and cold and yucky, and people are indoors with their loved ones, and they're just really, really struggling. Um you know, with with trying to to help them and everything. So it's been a long, long time since I went through the warning signs and what what you might see um, when somebody is starting to show signs and then, you know, what caregivers tell me they see that might ring true for you. So the first thing that I want to go through when uh, – there's warning signs of Alzheimer's is that, and I've said this a hundred times if I've said it once, Alzheimer's is the one disease under the dementia disease umbrella that starts with memory loss. So if you're seeing that they're forgetting recently learned information, that's probably one of the most common things that is an early sign um they they start to forget more often uh something you've just said and it's starting to be a recall issue that you see often not just once every couple of days but you're seeing it a couple of times a day and then it's happening multiple times a week and their ability to remember anything you've said to them typically wanes and is gone, and they'll ask that same question over again. People think it's, you know, repetitive questions, but it's really uh, just that their recall isn't there. So in a normal situation, somebody might forget a person's name, the name of a song that they should know, um, appointments that they have, that they should be going to when they make an appointment with a doctor, why they're making that appointment, things like that. Those are normal things that people might, you know, once in a blue moon forget. But if they're not recalling what you've just said, that's a red flag. Pay attention to it. If they're if they're saying they just don't realize what you've said, um, and they're asking you the same question again, repeat it once and then see if it, it happens again, you know, a few minutes later or a day later or something like that. The second thing that is kind of a big deal is when they have difficulty performing familiar tasks, something they should know. And if they're finding it really hard to plan or you know, complete something that's an everyday task that they should be able to do, like cooking, brushing their teeth, um, losing track of time or losing track of the steps involved to do something, um, that would be something that you would pay attention to. If they're playing, you know, a telephone tag with you and they're saying the same things over or they're having trouble at all placing phone calls, not remembering somebody's phone number that they should know. Um, they're playing a game with you and they're not following the rules and it's one you've played, you know, a hundred times or more and, and they're just not listening, uh, you think, but it's a cognitive issue where they're not uh, comprehending the information, then that's something that, again, is going to be a red flag to you. And what would be normal in a situation like that is, um, you know, walking into a room and not knowing why you were there. That happens all the time. 
Or you were starting to say something and you say, oh, I, I forgot that. I forgot what I was saying. God, what was I talking about? Jeez, you know, that is a normal thing. That's not a big deal unless it starts happening, you know, 10, 12 times a week. So pay attention to things like that. When I say it's normal, I mean we all lose a little bit down the line as we age. And starting at about age 30, you're not going to remember everything that you hear. Everything is not going to input into your brain and become a long-term memory. It just isn't unless you're a person who has an extraordinary ability to do that and remember things forever and ever. Amen, you know. Um, so, you know, don't be too hard on yourself if if you do walk into a room and you don't remember why you're there or you're very, very concerned about um, the fact that you just lose your train of thought. We are just on an information overload situation in just about everyone's life. We're stressed out with with uh, finances, with the economy, with our caregiving, all kinds of things. And all of those could add up to why you don't remember something. So be easier on yourself in, in cases like that. The next thing that would happen would be problems with language. Um, this is where they might forget simple words, things that they're trying to remember. Um, they will substitute a word that is not correct when they're trying to finish a sentence. Um, this sometimes can make their their language and their speech and their writing hard to understand. They may write something that, that isn't clear. They may put something down on paper that just doesn't look normal, um, that is missing words. Um, they might not be able to find like their hairbrush uh, or their uh, curling iron or their toothbrush or, you know, they might say something like that thing for my mouth instead of saying, where's my toothbrush? I can't find my toothbrush. That's where it gets super, super concerning. And, you know, what would be normal in a situation like that? Just having trouble finding the right word. You're looking, you're searching your vocabulary, you know, your um, your encyclopedia, your dictionary in your head, and you just can't come up with the word, so you come up with something else. But when you do, it makes sense. Or you ask somebody to help you with that word. There are so many words in the English language, in any language for that matter, that, you know, sometimes we're going to have trouble finding the right word. That's more a normal thing. Um, you just can't come up with it, but maybe you come up with it later, you know, 20 minutes later. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yep, no no problem. So when you're, when you're struggling to find a word or something like that, don't be freaked out about it, even if somebody in your family has Alzheimer's and you've always worried about whether or not you're next in line. Um, again, it's how often does it happen and what is the repetitiveness of your lack of being able to find the right word. Is it happening a couple of times a day, a couple of times a week, um, or is it just every so often? And if it's just every so often, forget about it and move on. The next thing that, that could come up is them having trouble with spatial issues, like not knowing the time and place and, um, you know, they're disoriented in that area. They're just not... Um, they're not able to find where they're going in their own neighborhood. They walk out of their house and they get lost. They don't know where they are. They don't know how they got there, and they don't know how to get back home. Um, they don't remember what time they're supposed to go to the doctor. They don't remember what month it is. They don't remember what day of the week it is. And you might hear them saying things that are familiar phrases like, well, I'm retired. I don't need to know what day of the week it is. Well, here's a calendar. <laughs> and you do need to remember because you have appointments throughout the week. You have volunteer jobs that you do, and we need to make sure you get there on time. So each day before you go to bed, uh, make sure you know what you're doing the next day. You can guide people that way, okay? Um, and if 
in a normal situation, if you forget the day of the week or where you were going or something like that, you might turn on the GPS in your car. Um, you might uh, turn on the dr- Google Drive on your phone or something like that. So you would have a way to compensate for that momentary loss of direction and a way to reorient yourself and gauge it on some other medium like your phone or um, – you know, the map in your car. So those kinds of things can be alleviated in a normal situation. But if you don't have the ability to look on your phone and figure out where you are and and uh, find your your point of center again, then that would be a big issue and something to talk to a neurologist about, talk to your family about it, and start working through what you need to do to make sure that you're always safe. Okay, maybe they can do they can do something like use 360 that can tell you where someone is. Um, there are ways to gauge. Um, they you they were doing it for parental control, but it's an easy way for you to gauge kind of um, where your loved one is if they were to wander off. Um, moving on, I think. When we have somebody who has impaired judgment, when they're they're not thinking clearly, they're sort of not following the normal rules of engagement, they're um, losing their social graces, they're they're struggling with judgment issues. Um, and those judgment issues could be not wearing the proper clothing for a really cold day. Right, where maybe they put on shorts or something, and it's two degrees outside. Um, they might put too many things on uh, on a day that it's hot. They might. Um, one of the biggest things we have is giving away large sums of money. Uh, the ability to manage their checkbook, uh, not being able to do their own accounting. Not understanding that tax day is coming up in a couple of months and we've got to get our our numbers together. Um, when they're struggling with things like that, usually you'll have somebody call on the phone, a, a collector of some type, um, wanting payment. And that's where you get the, the idea that maybe some of these things are amiss and we have impairment in this area. And it's a big, big deal. When it's normal is when, like in my situation, um, I give a good-sized um, donation each year to the research center at UCH uh, for Alzheimer's. And that is something that I plan on. It's something that I I budget for. And, you know, you're not making a question, questionable or debatable decision on that. That's something you know you've always done and you continue to do and it's normal for you to give X amount of dollars away to a nonprofit or something. But when you're answering the ASPCA on the TV or somebody's calling you on the phone saying I'm from the IRS, uh, you have these problems. I had a client recently who lost $30,000. It was just this week. Um, that she gave to somebody who had her go to the bank and pull the money out and do it with Bitcoin and give that money to somebody. And um, she didn't even know what she was getting in exchange. And she gave away $30,000 of her money. And because she took the money out and put it as cash in a Bitcoin situation, she's just out the money. There's nothing law enforcement can do. They can't track it. They can't do anything. So we see issues like that on a regular basis, and they are always red flags. If somebody calls about your computer and says your computer isn't working well, if they want you to go to a local store and buy um, gift cards and things like that, get off the phone. Do not give people your personal information. Don't give them your social security number. Don't give them your bank account numbers. And don't go out and buy gift cards uh, to pay for uh, fixing your computer or something that you didn't even know was having a problem because you don't have a problem. It's a scammer trying to take your money. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, you guys, you wouldn't believe how often these things happen. I mean, literally, it's thousands of times a day. And no matter how many times I have a show talking about ways people are coming around to try and scam you, people always get caught. It reminds me that once in a blue moon when I'm behind on a show or I'm on vacation or whatever's happening, that I replay that show and give you all a chance to listen to to those again. Because I'm telling you, I, I've got some good information on those that could keep you from losing thousands. So the next thing would be problems with abstract thinking, all right? Um, having problem performing anything that's complex, anything with a lot of steps to it. Uh, forgetting what numbers are for and how they should be used. Forgetting how to add and subtract, multiply or divide, things that you should know. So... Again, this could go back to even um, balancing a checkbook to make sure that you have all your checks cashed that you've sent out, um, that you have all your bills paid, um, looking at your bank account and making sure that uh, somebody hasn't come in and taken money from you and that your online payments are being um, released and, and put, put to the companies they're supposed to be. Those are big, big things. And in a perfect world, um, what is normal is uh, say you balance your checkbook, but it doesn't come up the way you want. You have the troubleshooting ability to go back through your checks, go back through your book, and make sure that everything was added and subtracted carefully and correctly so that something's not wrong. When you have impairment, like Alzheimer's, you're not even going to be able to do that. You're just going to be confused. It's going to look like a mountain, and you're going to struggle with it, okay? Um, another thing that happens is changes in mood or behavior. Um, I think a lot of times people with Alzheimer's can have super rapid mood swings, one minute they're super happy, the next minute they're crying, and we haven't got a clue why. They might be angry at you, and you don't even know why, right? I mean, they're just they're just calm, and then they go to tears and to anger for no apparent reason, and you're struggling to understand why they were even mad at you. What are they thinking? Did they explain to you what it was they were upset about? And they will get upset when they are reading your energy, and if they think you're angry with them, they can get fearful, they can get tearful. I mean, it can just lead to a lot of different things. So always remember that. Always remember that. Uh, again, something that I've said many, many times is that a person, even in the early, early stages in the warning signs, will feed off of your energy. And if they think you're angry with them or you're afraid, uh, they're afraid that they've made you mad or something like that, you will see them regress. You will see them argue with you. Uh, they might cry. There's just a lot of things that can happen with that. What would be normal in a situation like that would be, you know, a, occasionally feeling blue or sad or mad about something, but knowing why you're any of those, knowing what you're mad at or who you're mad at and, and what the reason was behind it. And that's intellectual thought, being able to think through a process and and know why you're angry and know... Um, how you're going to work through it and how to see another person's side um, to be able to have a conversation with somebody and agree to disagree. All those things are normal and, and helpful to understand that that's normal as long as you can troubleshoot through that. But when you can't, that's a big deal. And with that, you will see changes in that person's personality. And it can be dramatic. I mean, they can become really confused at any given moment. 
Uh, they might get suspicious that you have stolen something from them, that you're trying to take their money, that you think they can't take care of themselves. And it is a, a big, strong swing because they become either one of two things, fearful or dependent on you. Either they're scared of you or you are their safety blanket. And they were never like that on either front. They were never uh, worried about you and how they talked to you and how you would act or react towards them. And um, now they suddenly are about a lot of things. And then also, um, you know, being dependent on you. This is probably the tougher thing for my caregiver nation is that it really becomes difficult when somebody's clinging to you. You can't leave the house without them having a meltdown. They're very, very scared to be alone. They're afraid to answer the phone. They're afraid of letting water run. They're afraid of um, their own shadow. They're afraid when they hear a noise in the house. And so they don't want you to leave. They want you to be there with them 24-7, and it's suffocating, and it's difficult for family members. And you don't see the change. You don't see what they're afraid of. You don't see what they're having anxiety about. You just see that they're having it. And uh, again, as I've said many times, read their emotions and deal with their emotions, not whatever the, the subject is at hand. But reading if they are fearful, if they are sad, if they are scared, if they're mad about something, look at those kinds of things and try to figure out what you can do to help them. And in a normal situation, our personalities change pretty often with age. You know, I'm a lot more... Uh, well, I don't know if I should say this or not. I was going to say I'm a lot more easygoing as I get older, but the truth of the matter is I can see through crap pretty easily these days. <laughs> and I don't have a lot of patience for people that won't listen, people that are rude, people that are mean. And I can go from zero to fed up in a New York minute where back in the day I think I might have been a little bit um, – more open to giving people more chances where I don't, I don't think I'm that way today. But that's an example of, you know, things that can uh, change in our personality. And it, it, it does. It happens with age. It, you know, things just either hit us a lot easier or they hit us more intense. But whatever, whichever way it goes, it's, it's how we deal with it. Um. The last thing I wanted to talk about on this subject of the warning signs is a loss of initiative. They become uh, passive. And this is in the, the early signs. They, they don't want to um, do something you want to do. They don't care whether they're doing something that you want to do. If you say, do you want to watch TV? Yeah, sure, whatever, you know. Um, they might sleep more than usual. They might not want to do regular activities around the house like doing their laundry or cooking dinner and they become really passive about it. Oh, we can eat whenever. Let's just order out when they maybe used to like to cook all the time. And that's kind of a, a strange happening for them. So what's normal? Um, feeling sort of weary of doing the work. Um, maybe they're weary of social obligations. They don't want to be around a lot of people anymore. That I understand. Every time I go out, there's people out there. I wish they'd just stay home. Um, but it is something that, you know, is a normal kind of thing. We can get a little sick and tired of, of people and whining and, and, um, Everybody being a me, me, me society, I swear, I think audacity is on sale these days. I am shocked at what people think are owed to them. I mean, it just irritates me to no end. But that's a classic example of how, you know, personalities can change. 
but it can it can change because of nurture or nature, and it can be relatively normal for you to be really weary of society these days because a lot of people, as we are out and about these days, aren't as friendly as they used to be. Just depends on where you are. In a big city, I, I definitely think they're not as friendly as they used to be. So we see these kinds of changes. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about what families see and how they perceive the early stage. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. All right, so I'm talking about warning signs today. And... Some of the things that take place in society, at least I hope they do, is that we as human beings become completely immersed in our relationships, family, friends, business associates, you know, um, emotionally and physically, even the ones that are rewarding and some are challenging. And with that, sometimes we are inappropriately in too deep. You know, we give so much of our emotion sometimes to people that just drain it and uh, that really just take, take, take and don't give back. Right? Um, But on the other hand, You know, we have people in our lives that we feel really close to and we feel like they've earned the status that they deserve in our life and it feels like they're a part of every breath we take. Usually that's a situation of a spouse in most cases, right? And so I ask people that take my classes and my clients to tell me and describe what their relationships were like with the person before they got a diagnosis. You know, were they they close? Was it just a casual relationship? Is it estranged? Is it a divorce situation? Is it a family member, a mother, a father, a brother, sister, you know, spouse? Who is it? And, And in what way, right? And for the most part, they would say things like, we're really close. We're a very, very close-knit family. We talk on the phone weekly. We live in the same city, so we see each other a lot. Um, Some will say, you know, I'm the only person in this state. The rest of my family lives in another place, but we still communicate about this person. We didn't think it was a big deal that our person that we're talking about is having any problems. Um, They felt like they were, you know, close to each other, but not always a part of each other's everyday life. So it's hard to see some of the signs, 
you know, in uh, of the early of the early symptoms because we don't see them every single day. Um, some said, you know, we get together at family get-togethers at mom and dad's home uh, on the holidays and things like that. Um, they they would say things like, "I'm a really good daughter. I I am a dutiful daughter. I have done." Everything my parents need, I pay their bills, I do this, I do that. I'm over there bringing them food every single day. Um, That's kind of how I noticed some short-term things going on. Um, They, in many cases, when it's a parent, they say they were always preparing for a happy retirement. They have been loving and compatible for 50 years, you know, Um, they have had sort of a touch-and-go relationship for many, many years. Um, our family has shared, you know, many disagreements, and but we still come back around to how we get along. Um, we love each other very, very much. On the other hand, I get people that say they were never close to their person. Um, if it's a spouse, they sometimes will say, we lost our intimacy. Um, it seemed like just it just shut off. We just quit kissing and hugging and saying that we love each other. Um, I've heard people say, uh, my husband or wife suddenly had a very repressive personality. They're, they're constantly on me. They're nagging me. They're... I, I just can't even stand being around them. Um, I didn't realize it was a disease. You know, I, I for the most part, I think I hear from people that, that they'll say, we were always close and we would always help each other. Um, now I can hardly have a conversation with that person. And I miss them. I have people that drive a couple of hours to visit their mom or dad or, you know, relative or whoever it is and um, thought that would would be helpful to come over and see them and suddenly they don't want them to be there or they get there after driving that far and they've gone off to something else and you're like, wow, they knew I was coming today. What happened? Instead of getting mad, see this as kind of an early sign. Um, you know, for the most part, these people are part of your everyday life. You know, for me, I always thought it was safe to tell my mom things. And she shared some things with me before she was diagnosed. We talked a little bit about, you know, having trouble paying her bills. And... And she was struggling with being able to take her own medications. Um, If they can talk to you openly in these early, early stages, it kind of gives us a gauge of where we can be helpful. Being honest, being loyal, sharing, you know, just a great, immense love for someone and being able to talk about signs when you see them without being judgmental, I'm telling you people, is the way to go. The more you can discuss it early on, the better off you will be. The more you can make it a safe place for them to share what is happening, they're going to be more open with you about their fears. If they don't have an open avenue to talk about the things that are scaring them with the disease, it will translate and come out as fear and suspicion towards you. So when I come to help a family and they tell me somebody is full of fear and suspicion and and questioning family members, I know they didn't have those open conversations. And a lot of times 
it's because maybe they weren't close. I've had people say, you know, my person was not truthful and would deny the truth. And they never took care of anything. They had poor parenting skills. Um, Now you are bitter towards them. That happens. It doesn't mean you have to jump in full force and take care of them. But if they are your parent and they brought you into this world and they are starting to struggle with these, these signs, try to get over your bitterness and try to work through it because you're going to have a finite amount of time to reconcile before it's too late. And so often people have the makings of these disease 20 years before we see any signs. So by the time we get to a point where they're actually showing signs, they're on the road. A doctor may say they're in mild cognitive impairment, but the truth of the matter is they're on the road. And those early signs are showing, and we've got to find a way to get close. And you're going to have to learn how to handle your person and your own life. You're going to have to figure out what challenges you're going to face and do it with empathy and compassion. And if you can't do that, you need to let somebody else do it. I'm telling you, it's, it's so much better if you can put the bitterness and the anger aside because they're going to get to a place where they're going to lose their cognitive skills, their thought process, and they're going to struggle with everything from reading and writing and speaking you know, our language, recognizing themselves, recognizing others, and depending on how old they are, those days are going to come sooner than later. I did a show last week with a young man who was 28 years old, and his mom died at 48. And she got diagnosed at 39. It can happen before you know it. And one of the things I hear often from people is that, um, you know, they've always been close to their parents and then one of them passed away. And that's when they started noticing problems. And so often we have spouses who cover for their partner. They finish sentences. They make sure their place is on time. They don't tell people what is going on. They try to handle everything themselves. They wear themselves out and they die. And then family members start realizing something went wrong and something has been wrong for a long, long time. And it comes a lot of times from people being married for many, many years. And they're inseparable and they feel like that's their role that's it's their role to take care of that person and keep that person viable and and maintain their dignity and there's nothing wrong with that until there's something wrong with it which is that 68% of my caregiver nation out there is going to work themselves to a place where they die before their person does and then everyone around says wow we had no idea that mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or whoever it is was as bad as they were because their spouse covered for them and compensated for them for such a long time. It's because they're your best friend. It's because maybe they've been the best mom or dad in the world. It's because you love them and you want to help them. But you do yourself no favors when you're trying to do everything for them so that people don't notice that they're showing signs. I'm telling you, that's a dead-end street. And it's it's not healthy. It's not helpful. And the sooner you do it 
in the early, early stages when they're just showing signs and you share with people, you give them a chance to be compassionate and empathetic and helpful. If you wait and you keep this all close to the vest and you keep it a great big secret, you're not helping anybody. You're not. So when you have a family member who's walking back and forth to the kitchen and they're watching their favorite show and they don't seem like themselves, they're, they would never get up from Wheel or Fortune or Jeopardy or something like this. And now they're walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, pacing. That's an early sign. Okay. Pay attention to things like that. If you're having a conversation with somebody and it doesn't feel like they are replying to you, if it feels like they've lost that that spontaneous conversation, if they're not able to have an intellectual thought process and you're trying to talk to them about some big problem you have and they don't seem to be registering, they seem closed off, they seem like they're apathetic, that is an early sign. I mean, you will know if you're pouring your heart out to somebody and their reply is, well, I wonder what I'm going to do today or I wonder why that girl doesn't know the answer to that, to that clue, that puzzle. And you're not having a two-year conversation or two-way conversation. You'll, you'll figure it out. But those are those early signs we can look at. Sometimes it's just like an emotional emptiness that you feel. You feel it probably more than they feel it, that they're not reading your emotions, they're not caring about your emotions. Um, It's heartbreaking. You feel like that relationship you had suddenly has had a shift that you can't have those wonderful, warm conversations where everybody tears up and gives hugs later and you feel like you've had some resolution to it. Those are some of the first signs. And family members that are close, I had one lady tell me, my my brothers and sisters are sick of me calling and crying all the time. And so I had to sort of, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and and get over it. Um, and ha- and and taking a different route of of strength. And I hear this especially from men that they feel like they're not supposed to cry. Here's something that we also do in those early, early signs that we don't realize it, we step into the door of grief. When we start noticing somebody's having problems, that's when the grieving process starts. It's where we start realizing that we're losing that person that we love as we have known them, that they are changing and the trajectory is going to be such that they're not going to be the same person at the end of the journey. And that fact alone is why when somebody gets to the end of the journey and you're at the memorial service and you're okay and everybody else is telling you how sorry they are and you want to scream from the rooftops, I'm not sorry. I'm glad this is over. I've been grieving for 15 years. I have been grieving from the day I first noticed the signs and by the time we got to a place where that person wasn't talking to me anymore, I had acceptance. I've gone through the five steps of grieving. I'm over this. I'm done. I didn't want the person to die, but I also didn't want them to live this way. Yes, the grieving process starts in those early signs. Because we start understanding that our world is changing. 
and we're going to have to make some adjustments. And in those early stages, those open conversations really help because that's where you can talk about getting power of attorney taken care of. Uh, Who's going to call the shots for you when you're incapable of doing that? Who's going to be the person you can trust? It's not always your spouse. It could be a child. It could be your best friend. It could be your sister. But it's important to have that designated. You better make sure that whoever you decide on, you feel comfortable that they'll make a good decision if you ever need to move into a home. It's a good conversation to have with them to ask them to maybe, uh, if you've got a couple of choices, ask them to go and, and research care communities and find out what they find out. How, how far did they dig into it? Is it a, is a, is it a um, privately owned place or is it one owned by a corporate machine? Is it task-centered or is it person-centered care? And don't trust that they're going to tell you the truth. Just pop in on them and see. Um, Find out if the executive director is hands-on and ask. Maybe you go research them yourself first because you're just having these problems in the early signs and early, 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 early stage and then see if they come up with the same things you came up with. That'll tell you if you've chosen the right person. <laughs> I guarantee that will lay some some definite uh, attention on that subject that you need to. And figure out what you're doing now where you're going to need some help at some point. Like maybe cleaning the house or shoveling snow or doing some other chores. What are you going to do if your health fails and your mind is failing? What would you need help on right now? This is the time to have these conversations. How soon could we bring somebody in to clean the house for you? Can I start helping you with your bills? Um, Tell me where you're at at all times and I will work with you. People, I'm telling you, I walk the walk and I talk the talk. I'm doing this with my sister right now. I've been doing it for five years and we are on a good trajectory. We have great conversations. She knows she can talk to me. She knows I will take care of things if I need, if she needs me to. Okay. And, and, and give yourself a break if you feel like you're selfish, if you want that person to be able to play cards with you for a long time or laugh and have a good time with you. Um, because when they get bitter about things, when they feel like they can't learn the game anymore, they can't play the game anymore, people are judging them, they turn bitter, they turn stubborn you know, it becomes very, very difficult. And those are things you're going to miss. It's okay to be selfish about not wanting to lose those things. And have those kind of conversations. Say, I'm worried about a time when you won't be able to follow the rules of the game anymore. At that point, how about if you just don't keep score and you let me keep score and you just enjoy the game, even if it's your turn or if it's your turn to shuffle or something. Let's keep you playing as long as we possibly can. Okay. Start making decisions really early on about whether or not you like frozen foods. If you don't, tell somebody you want somebody to come in and cook for you if you get into a stage where you can't do it yourself. You don't want, you know, Miss Swanson's frozen foods. Um, If you need help with somebody uh, helping you take medication, that you need reminders. That you want somebody to understand the things that you need. Like maybe you want to go out for a hike. Okay? Um, That you still want to go and volunteer and do something and you're willing to have somebody go with you. Maybe you still like to go to baseball games or football games or things like that. Go as long as you possibly can. Write down 
information about yourself and share it with your family members because it won't be long before that information isn't recall for you. It's going to be really, really difficult. Work puzzles. You know, watch your favorite soap opera. Look at pictures of family members and label their names so that in coming years, you don't have to wonder who they are. It's a good idea to go through boxes of pictures when you're having those early signs and start writing people's names in the year that picture was taken if you still have pictures in boxes. If you take every, and we do everything on our phone today, if you have pictures on your phone um, and you want to keep them, dump them every couple of months, download them onto your uh, PC if you still have one or a laptop or a uh, heavy-duty flash drive that has a lot of memory. And when you dump them, they have dates. So maybe it's the first quarter of 2022, the second quarter of 2022. Uh, the If you keep them a long time on there and then you dump them, then it all gets mixed and you don't know when you took them and you don't know how old people were and things like that. So think about things like that. Where do you like to eat your food? Do you like it on a TV tray or do you like it in the dining room? All these questions have answers. And the more you share that information, right when you're starting to have signs, and people, you know when you're starting to have signs. You do. You do. Don't hide it from people. Share it with your family members. If you have a spouse um, and you have children, share it with your children. Don't Hide it. Talk about it. Make it known. There's no stigma anymore. This is a brain disease, and we want to get you through it the best way possible. It serves no one. It benefits no one when you keep this a secret. I promise you that. And I, and I also promise you that the more that you share it, the less the people around you will be stressed They will understand what you need. They will work towards a common goal, and you can be a part of the plan. If you hide it, if you don't share, if you're a caregiver that is trying to hide it for somebody, stop. Stop and talk about it with people because the odds are you're going to be gone before they are, and you're leaving people with an insurmountable mountain of emotion and confusion to deal with. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.